You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. All of our dads in the room, would you please stand? We want to recognize you. We want to honor all of our fathers. Let's give them a big hand. Would you do that? So grateful for all our dads. Wow. So many in the house. Thank each one of you. God bless you. You may be seated. We want to welcome those who are joining us online. I'm Stephen Tram, the executive pastor here at Houston's First. We're delighted you've joined us on this special day, this Father's Day. And Pastor Greg uh, has been traveling throughout Italy with uh, Kelly and Valerie, and they've been serving our choir and just doing ministry there. The choir has returned. Many have already come back. Some are still on their way. So we're going to continue to pray for them and pray for Pastor Greg while he's on sabbatical, preparing the Romans series. He'll be preaching through the book of Romans. So it's going to be an incredible, incredible journey. And it's such an honor for me to get to stand in his pulpit and preach the word of God. It's such a treasure. And I am thankful to God for this opportunity and thankful to each one of you for your participation as we dive into God's word. I do want to invite you to go to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. When I was really young, I remember the moment my dad invited me to go out into the front yard. And once we got out in the front yard, he handed me a baseball. And then he stepped a few steps away, and he asked me to throw the baseball to him. So I put the baseball in my left hand, and I threw it to him. He brought it back to me. He said, I want you to do it again. He just dropped it in my hands, and I put the baseball in my left hand, and then I threw it to him again. He said, let's go back into the house for a moment, went in where the countertop was, and he took out a little notepad with a pen, and he said, I want you to write your name. So I took the pen in my right hand, and I wrote my name. He said, write it one more time. I took my right hand, pen in the right hand, wrote it again. He said, let's go back out to the front yard one more time. He dropped a baseball in my hand. I put the baseball in my left hand, and I threw in the ball. And he was so complex by that. He's like, what's going on here? Now, what I know is that God did a special work in me where I can use my left hand or my right hand. I use racquetball, right hand, bowling, left hand. Texting, I can use both hands. (laughs) Baseball, left-handed. Golf, left-handed. Right, right right-handed. But for me, it was the moment that mattered most. Because shortly thereafter, when I was seven years of age, my parents divorced because of my dad's alcoholism. So that was a major moment that matters. And what I want us to look at this morning is the reality that life is made up of a series of moments. And you think about the moments in your life. Some of those moments are life-giving Some of those moments are wisdom building. Some of those moments are life changing. But some of those moments may be for you devastating, confusing, or life draining. What we're going to do this morning is talk about how to cultivate moments that matter. Because if you're not careful, you will live your life at such a pace and such a level that you miss the moments that God has orchestrated for you. So how do we cultivate those moments? Well, we're going to look at a father-son interaction. We could go to the New Testament and see where God the Father spoke to Jesus at his baptism. 
or Matthew 17, Mount Transfiguration, where God affirmed Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Or we could go to Luke 15, to the prodigal son and the father, that's quite a story, and see the father's love toward the son and see that father-son moment. But I want us to go to 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We're going to see an extraordinary father-son moment, and this is between David and Solomon. We've been marching through the life of David, then we march through the life of Solomon. But I want us to look at this sacred moment, this front yard with a baseball moment, where David speaks into his life. 1 Kings 2, when you're there, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Look at verses 1 and 2 with me, if you would. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I am going the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. Be strong and be a man. Now, I want you to say that with me. Ready? Be strong and be a man. If there were ever a message on Father's Day, This needs to be the message in 2022. Be strong and be a man. God bless you. You may be seated. So how do you cultivate moments that matter? And this, of course, is a message for every woman, every man, every boy, every girl. How do you cultivate moments that matter? Number one, notify your humanity. Notify your humanity. I want you this morning to give your humanity a heads up. I want us to speak into our humanity. We are made, the Bible tells us, in the image of God. Aren't you grateful? The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want you to look to two people and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Go ahead. We are made by God, of course. We're made for God. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.10, which is our VBS theme, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good work. So God does the work in us, so God can do his work through us. He's the potter, we're the clay. And God is molding us and shaping us. And sometimes God uses difficult people, difficult situations, difficult seasons of life, difficult moments to mold and shape us as we work out what God has worked in. We are made in the image of God. And we also learn that our time on earth is limited. I heard a story about an elderly couple been married many, many years and the husband had failing health so they went to the doctor to see him and after all the tests were run, they went and met with the doctor and he overviewed several of the tests that had been run. Then he asked the man to step out. Sir, would you go into the waiting room? I need to have a word with your wife. So the doctor and the wife began to interchange information. And he was like, ma'am, I want you to know that your husband's blood pressure is high. His stress level is high. I've given him everything I can give him. I need you to step in. She said, well, what do I need to do? He said, well, I need you to cook him three hot meals a day. I need you to massage his shoulders, scratch his back and rub his feet several times a day. If you want him to live. So she leaves, and on her way out, she says to her husband, it's it's time to go. And they get in the car. And in the car, the husband said, well, what did the doctor say? What did he tell you? She looked at him and said, you're going to (laughs) die. (laughs) 
Our life on earth is limited. The Bible says in James 4.14, I think about every time I spray cologne, every time I spray my hair, gone, gone. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. And what James is talking about in light of eternity, your life on this earth is like a dot, a vapor that appears and then is gone. And within that moment, God is building all these moments and orchestrating all of these moments to remind us that every moment matters. Here's the word. Be strong in the Lord. David tells Solomon, be strong. Now, what you and I understand as we walk with God is that we're to be strong in the Lord. So it's not that we need to step up and be strong on our own. It's we are to be strong in the Lord. Living victoriously in a fallen world demands fortitude, tenacity, courage, resilience, perseverance, and even grit. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, with Paul writing the church at Corinth, he says, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and then here's our words, be strong. Now, I'm calling every man in this worship center to stop being a thermometer reflecting the environment, and let's start being a thermostat, and let's set the environment. God is looking for men who are willing to step up and be leaders in our culture, being salt and light in a dark and decaying world, to bring clarity to Christianity and to say, we're going to be men of God. That's what God's looking for. And I want to challenge you on this Father's Day, step up. Be the man of God he's created you to be. I want to talk to every woman in the room. Step up. Be the woman of God God's created you to be. Every boy, every girl, God has pursued you, invited you into this amazing love relationship so that you can stand firm in the faith. Whenever I was pastoring in Baton Rouge 22 years ago, one of my first breakfast meetings was with a retired engineer. And he said to me out in the parking lot as we're going into this breakfast place, he says, Pastor Stephen, I need you to help me find my purpose in retirement. Now, what I've discovered in 36 years of ministry, men who don't find their purpose in retirement don't do well. And the lady said, amen. That was your moment, ladies. I was trying to give you a <laughs> blessing right there. Pastor, I need you to help me find my purpose in retirement. And together we launched a men's ministry called Mavia, M-O-V-I-A. Isn't this cool? Mavia, men of vision in action. And our curriculum we used that first semester was Quest for Authentic Manhood by Robert Lewis. And I'm going to give you three phrases to plug in if you'll write them in your notes. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, and lead courageously. Isn't that a good word? Now, that a preach, and you can plug that in on a Monday morning. Be strong in the Lord. Be the man or woman of God he created you to be. One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Adrian Rogers is this. A man is superior to a woman at being a man. And a woman is superior to a man at being a woman. 
God is asking you to be a man of God or a woman of God, to be a child of God in this dark and decaying world that he's called us to serve. And the reason we have to notify our humanity, the reason we need to give our humanity a heads up is that we have to realize that you don't have to stop being human to align with God's design. God created you. And God knows that you are a human being with a human condition. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're filled by his spirit. You're adopted into his forever family. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And my Bible says nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. But you have to learn how to work out what God's worked in. That we retain this old shell, this old body, and one day we're going to trade it in for a glorified body. Can I hear hallelujah to the Lamb of God? We're looking forward to that. Eat all the bluebell you want. No calories impacting your life. And God is not calling you to be a lifeless robot. Some of you are so numb right now. You don't even feel. You don't get to feel highs or lows because you've so numbed out in life. And God is not calling you to be a robot. God is calling you to embrace your humanity. He's not calling you to go numb and distant and cold. God has invited you to become a human conduit of his divine activity. Peter tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature, that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God is not asking us to stop being human. He just wants us to start being godly in our humanity as we surrender to the lordship of Christ, yielding to his control. And remember, your body in Christ became the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your human body is the walking tabernacle of his presence. I love Galatians 2.20. And I want us to read it aloud together. We're going to put it up on the screens. And those joining us online, I want you to say it out loud with us if you would. Here we go. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. Let's say that again. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the life I now live by faith in the body. God uses human instrumentality in the redemptive process. So notify your humanity. Here's insight number two. You ready for it? Say amen. Now, these next two are going a little bit quicker. Here we go. Fortify your integrity. Your integrity is vital. I love golf. I started playing golf my junior year in college. I was racing motocross. Tanya and I were dating. She went to one race. I won, praise God. And she said, mere motocross. I chose her because motocross is seasonal. But anyway, <laughs> just picking. We've been married 31 years. It's been an amazing journey. In golf, golf is built on integrity. You keep your own score. Uh, if you hit the ball in the woods, you have to give yourself a penalty stroke. It's a golf 
is a game of integrity. And right now, the U.S. Open is on, and some of you I see are watching the live feed right now. I see that, the guys there. Yes, I see that flash on your face right now. And that's okay if you'll send me who's winning right now. If you'll just text me, I'll be checking that during the message. But golf is a game of integrity. Integrity is everything. Look at Verse 3, where David says to Solomon, and keep your obligation to the Lord your God, here it is, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. And Here's a takeaway I want you to write down. Obey God's way. Obey God's way. And I want to make an announcement on this Father's Day. God's way is always the best way. You can never go wrong doing right. God's way is always the best way. Here, David says, keep your obligation, walk in his ways, keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. So what he's saying to Solomon is keep the Mosaic law. Now, in our context, it means to obey the word of God, God's revelation, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 66 books in the Bible, that we're to walk God's way by walking out God's word. So what happened to Solomon? Well, we know he drifted from godliness to worldliness. God had so blessed him with wisdom, and he wrote Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, which we've been able to march through with Pastor Greg. It's been an amazing journey. Solomon was on the right track, and then he drifted from godliness to worldliness, and you cannot be godly and worldly simultaneously. You've got to decide, am I going to step into Fresh water or salt water? But you can't live in brackish water and be effective as a child of God. Worldliness or godliness, you've got to choose. Look at well, 1 Kings eleven four. Let me read this. When Solomon was old, Pastor Greg covered this last Sunday, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord as God as his father David had been. Now, here's what happened. I love this in Steve Ferrar's book, Finishing Strong, which I recommend to every man in this room. I've read it many, many times. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. And Solomon learned that the hard way. So I want to challenge us this morning in the house and those online, be a person of integrity. Be a person of integrity. Whenever, it was actually 15 years ago, I was on a mission trip in Turkey, and we were serving several people in that area. I was preaching every day, and we went into Ephesus. We know the book of Ephesians. We went to Ephesus, and whenever we had finished going through the different locations there, we were coming back through where the little shops are, and on the tree near one of the shops is where you could purchase items, and it said, genuine fake watches. You could buy a Rolex watch for $19. Genuine fake watches. Now, the reality is the sign was a sign of integrity. Genuine fake watches. So the sign was being true. But you and I know that's not a Rolex. You don't buy a Rolex for $19. We know they're $199. <laughs> Be a person of integrity. Proverbs 10, 9. The one who lives with integrity lives securely, but whoever perverts his ways will be found out. 
my favorite definition in integrity, integrity is when the tongue in your mouth lines up with the tongue in your shoe. That's integrity. That your walk matches your talk. Be a person of integrity. So we're going to notify our humanity. We're going to fortify our integrity. And then third and final point, solidify your legacy. That's on you. Solidify your legacy. And we pick up now in verse 4. Look with me as David is speaking into Solomon's life. David is near death. And he says to Solomon, and so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. That was a promise from God. And what we discover in this verse is that King David's dynasty and legacy was dependent on Solomon's integrity. And Solomon drifted from God. You see the if-then statement here? If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, it literally means wholehearted devotion. It's a phrase I've used when I've preached in here before. Long obedience in the same direction. That's integrity. If you do that, then you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And here's a phrase I want you to write down. The way you live each moment of your life matters. Every moment matters. And the decisions we make in the moment matter. Now I want to ask you a personal question. How many of you have seen Top Gun Maverick? Come on now, raise your hand. Whew, wasn't that a fantastic movie? So if you go, and we recommend go experience it. It's amazing. It, the theme in the movie is legacy. It's what uh, uh, John Eldridge in his book, Wild at Heart, wrote 25 years ago that uh, he says, women are tired, men are bored. You need an adventure to live, a battle to fight, and a beauty to rescue. Now, that's in every great movie. So at Top Gun Maverick, I love the theme of legacy. Definitely courage, tenacity, perseverance, grit. But this concept of legacy. Talk to me, Goose. Legacy. And you have Goose from the first movie and flashbacks to Goose in this movie and his son, Rooster is involved. Tremendous storyline of legacy. You'll go see it. Now, when you go, please go to a theater that has like XD, the XD digital experience with the big screen where it rattles you. That's where we went. And it has the reclining chairs. Wow. I mean, that's a God thing, right? That's God inspired putting recliners in a movie theater. Now we would put that in church, but we know better. We know better. What was so funny during the movie, Tanya's next to me and Tori was uh, right next to her. We were there as a family and it was so sweet. The whole time, I could see Tanya's feet just shaking. She was holding that chair the whole time for two hours, solid. It was awesome. This concept of legacy, the way you live each moment matters. Legacy. I love Pastor Greg's quote from last Sunday. I want you to write it down. Our focus determines our finish. 
I want to show you a 69 video clip. That was a very emotional moment for me when I saw it live. Because I didn't have this kind of moment with my earthly dad. After my parents divorced, my dad really struggled with alcohol and DUIs. They were called DWIs in Louisiana. And after consecutive DWIs, my sixth grade year, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. So we didn't have this moment that I'm about to share with you. And some of you would say you haven't either. Some of you would say, I remember the moment. See if you can identify with this. But when you're young, you're always trying to be older. Then when you get old, you're always trying to go back, be back. Trying to appreciate the moments, you know, here, Kev, get along the side. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're doing, just collecting these little moments. We don't recognize them when we're in them because well, we're too busy looking forward. And we spend the rest of our lives looking back, trying to, trying to remember them, trying to be back inside them. Stranger things you remember. You're being really weird, Dad. Mm-hmm. Really weird. One day you'll get it. All right, looking good. Hold on, hold on, let me have a look at you. Yep, still my son's. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that a fantastic moment? Now, I didn't have that moment with my dad, but thanks be to God, by his grace, I was able to have that moment with my son, Austin. And I'm going to show you the video. No, just picking. <laughs> he would kill me. That would not go well in the Trammell household. Here's a phrase I want you to write down. To leave a legacy, you must live a legacy. To leave a legacy, you must live a legacy. And I'm just so touched as I think about God's activity and God's grace in our lives. It was several years ago, I was listening to KSBJ and it was right before Father's Day. And they asked a loaded question over the air. What did your dad do right? And I had never thought about that. What did my dad do right? I was just so wounded and had these major father wounds by what my dad did not do right. And God really got a hold of my heart. And I called my dad. And he was shocked when I said, Dad, I just wanted to call you to tell you what you did right. I said, you taught me how to ride a bike. You taught me how to throw a baseball with my left hand. You taught me how to water ski. You taught me how to race motocross. You taught me how to fish. You taught me how to laugh and play. 
and you taught me how to care about details. When my dad was still at home, whenever he would mow the lawn and trim the hedge and edge, he would bring my older brother and me out to come make sure all the grass was picked up. And we would reach down, he would show us, here's a piece of grass. We hadn't, I mean, a piece of uh, paper. We hadn't seen that. Everything looked perfect. He said, no, right there. And it would be down in the little crevice where he'd edge, a little, a little piece of paper, and we'd pick it up. He cared about details, and wish I could show you pictures of when he and my mom were dating. He was Mr. GQ. He looked so awesome. His hair was perfect. He was so fit, the way he dressed. He cared about details. And in that short span of time of my first seven years, taught us to care about details and of course now we have commandment number 11 you shall not mess up a preacher's hair so I want to ask you a personal question what did your dad do right maybe he's still living maybe he's no longer living maybe you were blessed to have an engaging father who was so involved in your life and present Maybe you had a distant dad. Maybe you have major father wounds like I've had to overcome by God's grace. What did your dad do right? I have there in your listening guide, and our online host will assist those watching online. In your listening guide, I've given you some space to just write down two or three things your dad did right. I'm going to give you 30 seconds right now to think about those and write those down. If you would, go ahead. What did your dad do right? Don't miss this moment. If your dad's still alive, I encourage you, either take a picture of your list and send it to him or text him or call him and say, Dad, I just want to share with you what you did right. But so powerful after that radio moment, Father's Day was in about two or three days, and I received two letters, one from my daughter, Tori, who's here with us, and one from my son, Austin. He and Katie live in Atlanta now. They gave me each a letter that said, Dad, here's what you have done right. So I had Tanya come read them with me. I wanted her to know too. <laughs> and it was the sweetest two letters you could ever read as a dad. And I want you to bless your dad with that opportunity as well. As we wrap up, here's the question I want to end with. What did Jesus do to make us right with God? If you ever question if you're loved or not, you are deeply loved by God. What did Jesus do to make us right with God? First of all, Jesus took on our humanity. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. And then Jesus lived a life of integrity. He's the model to follow. Your earthly dad will let you down. 
But Jesus will never let you down. And then thirdly, Jesus died in our place to ensure our eternal legacy. Isn't that powerful? Jesus died in your place and in my place to secure our eternal legacy, our destiny. We're going to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father in heaven if we know Jesus. One of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we're going to read it aloud together. Say it with me. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus did for us that which we could never do for ourselves. He was the only one qualified living a sinless life and dying a sacrificial death. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Jesus paid the ultimate price by taking our place on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. Jesus took it on our behalf, thus satisfying the wrath of God and thus building this amazing love bridge to us so that we could come into relationship with him, which brings me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. When you become a child of God, you are justified. It's just if I'd never sinned. And then you're sanctified. You begin growing spiritually, working out what God has worked in. And then one day you're going to be glorified. You're going to throw away this old shell, this body of decay and disease and temptation and sin and this fallen world. And we're going to just leave all this behind. And we're going to receive our glorified body. And we're going to get to heaven. There will be no sin. There will be no temptation. There will be no suffering, no sickness, no disease, no cancer, no heart disease. No mosquitoes, no traffic, no humidity. And we'll get to place. Our hands in the only nail-pierced hands in heaven. The only hands that were pierced by man that God used to bring us into a saving relationship and to be fully reconciled to our holy God. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. With a heart one believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth one confesses resulting in salvation. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means there's room for you to get in on God's offer of salvation. And I responded to God's offer of salvation on March 28, 1979, one month before my physical birthday, age 10, I had my spiritual birthday. And I was adopted into God's forever family. And I was introduced to a father who would never let me down. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And even when you let go of him, he'll never let go of you. Would you stand with me as we pray together? Every head bowed and eyes closed. Let me give you a moment with our Heavenly Father.
You can feel his love right now. You can feel his presence. God is drawing you by his spirit. And I want you to have your moment right now. This is your moment. I'm going to invite our decision time encouragers and prayer partners to just come get in place throughout the worship center, up in the balcony, the transverse aisle, the front. If we have deacons and wives close by, if you'll just fill in any gaps that are created here. I want to make sure that you have somebody near your section that you can go to to become a child of God. All you have to do is go to any one of these individuals. In just a moment, we're going to sing, I Surrender All. And just go to one of these individuals. They're going to ask you two questions. What's your name? What's on your heart? And just share your name and say, I want to be saved. Or say, I want to go to heaven. You can even say, I don't want to go to hell. And they'll share with you how you can become a child of God and be saved and solidify your eternal destiny this morning. Maybe for you, you already know the Lord. Maybe you have drifted from God and you just want to surrender to his lordship and want somebody to pray with you to solidify that commitment that I'm going to surrender to the Lord and make Jesus number one in my life. I'd imagine that's the majority of us. And maybe you want to know about church membership and become a member of our family here. We'd love to have you. You can go to any one of these prayer partners and they'll help you. Maybe for you, you know the Lord, but you've never followed in believer's baptism and you want to schedule your baptism. We want to assist you in that as well. That's why we're here is to serve you in your time of need. And maybe for you, Father's Day is a hard day. I know it is for me. Maybe for you, you just need somebody to pray with you about today. And our prayer partners, our decision time encouragers are here to pray with you, to help you. I'm going to invite you to come to Jesus. When I was in seminary class, I preached the message they graded me on. And at the end, I said, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And after the professor got up and said, Stephen, if you would just turn your hands toward your face and say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. So what I want to say to you this morning, stay away from the devil. Stay away from the devil. Don't let the devil talk you out of this moment. This is your moment. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and let him have his way in you and through you. Lord, we praise you. God, we surrender to you, and I pray you'll give us boldness and courage and tenacity to be everything you've created us to be, oh God. Help us to be people of integrity and character and purity. Lord, I pray that you'll help bind the enemy and his attacks on our lives. Lord, help us to walk your way and to live a life that glorifies you, that brings you honor and pleasure. And Lord, that we can showcase your grace to a lost and dying world. Lord, give us boldness to respond during this invitation. We know this is our moment and we don't want to miss it. We want to honor you, the ultimate Father. We pray in Jesus' name. You come to the Lord. You come for prayer. Whatever you need, we're here to serve you. You respond as the Lord leads. You come. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.